the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So I want to title this message today, Lord, take me back, forward. So with this particular story, when we read it, we often think, why was this particular point so important to this woman? What we don't realize is that when we look at the Greek translation, this one particular coin was worth about a week's salary, right? And so oftentimes we think, well, what is the, what is the worth of this particular coin in this case? What is the worth of one person who is lost in Jesus Christ? But I think we're asking the wrong question when we ask that. And let me tell you why. I was recently having a conversation with my mother-in-law, and anyone who knows as, as folks age, they start to collect a lot of things. And so my mother-in-law had got it in her mind that some of the stuff that she had access to, she kept saying, oh, but this is worth this, this amount of money, or this is worth this much. So what I had to try and help her to understand was that there's a difference between what something is worth and what something is valued at. And oftentimes we conflate those two things. For her, when she said this is worth a certain amount, what happened was she looked online and she said, what is the relative worth compared to other things that are like this that I can get on the open market? That's not the way that the kingdom evaluates money. That's not the way that the kingdom evaluates saints. That's not the way that the kingdom evaluates sinners, right? And so we live in a values-driven economy when we begin to interact with God. Because what something is worth is irrelevant if what? No one is willing to pay for that. So it's actually the value that we need to start to focus on, right? What is the value of one sinner who has been lost? It's worth the angels of the Lord celebrating over that one person who is lost. What is that person's worth, right? In the world, that person may not be worth anything to people. But what is the value of that one soul? It means everything to God. And so if we start looking at the kingdom based on not worth, but based on value, we'll really get a deeper understanding of when God is calling us to a kingdom economy, what that actually means. And this year in particular, God is drawing us nearer to him, and he's going to be drawing people who are outside of the four walls of this church. And we need to start preparing our hearts to receive them because we need to not see them as being how much they're worth, but what is their value to the kingdom of God. I want to tell you all about a dream that I had uh, a couple of days ago. And I'll tell you about the beginning of the dream right now, and then I'll come back later and tell you about um, what happened at the end of the dream. So in this dream, we were here at Lineage, and it was a very small crowd, even smaller than this. So Pastor Benjamin got a phone call, and it was something that was really urgent. And it's something that he actually had to get out and step out in order to receive. And he was, on this call, he was, he was discussing something, he was negotiating something, and no one could really hear what it was. But as he started to become more fervent, people just started just walking through the doors. Not only people from, who are members of lineage, not only members of the community, also people who used to go to lineage. And some of those people who uh, used to go to lineage, what I noticed that was very particular about them, or some of them, not all of them, some of those people uh, were bringing in dogs on the leash, right? And I'm not saying that lineage is like, 
you know, obviously this is the dream, so I'm not saying lineage is going to become like this, you know, super doll-friendly church where people just kind of bring their animals. That's, what, that's not what I'm saying. That the, I don't think that that's what the dream meant. I think that as people were bringing in the dogs, it represented something. So, so we start to praise, we start to worship, and all of a sudden, I had to go out and prepare my sermon a little bit more. And so when I went outside, I went to a path that didn't look like the outside of this church. I went down that path, and what I noticed was all the dogs that were inside were now leashed up and tied up outside. And these dogs were vicious, right? Like, I'm not going to tell you what kind of dogs they were, but when I was coming up in the 80s, there was a particular type of dog that everybody was afraid of, and those of us who grew up in the 80s know which particular dog I'm talking about, but that's not important. These dogs were vicious, and they kept snapping at you, but they were also cunning, because they wait till you get a little bit closer, and they just kind of chill, and then when you got close enough, or they perceived that you got close enough, is when they would snap at you. I was confused, too. So we'll come back to that. So I want you all, as you think about the experience of drawing people to Christ, the experience of you coming to Christ, when was that moment where you said, God, I surrender. This is my surrender. Think back to what that moment was like. Think back to how you felt. Think back to like how your heart was stirred. Think about how in that environment, nothing that was going on around you, like it's almost like you, like you were focused and you were identified by God and you were just having one unique experience and moment with him. I want everybody to think back to that moment. And as you think back to that moment, I want to bring us back to the experience of when Moses first encountered God. So let's go to Exodus. I'm going to read this and we're going to put one of the verses up on the screen because only one of them is really relevant to what we're talking about. So Exodus 3, chapter 3, verse number 6 reads, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to, to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. This is the part that's important. Verse number five says, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for this is the place where you are standing. For this place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said to him, I am God. I am the God of, the fa of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this moment, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. What I really want us to pay attention to now is how when Moses approached God, Moses approached God in a very unique way where he did two things. Number one, he hid his face. And then number two, he only went so close to the burning bush because God said, don't come any closer. Have you ever had an experience where you felt like God was saying, don't come any closer? This is holy ground. Remove your sandals. So in this particular experience of Moses, 
Moses had had no interaction with God before now, which is why God used the burning bush as a curiosity to draw Moses closer to him. But what's interesting is that he drew Moses closer to him in order for what? Moses to not come close to him, right? Doesn't that seem like kind of a, a, a contradiction, right? Come to me out of curiosity, but don't come too close because what? Because you're not ready. And I think that that's an experience that all of us ha have had in our lives where we're like, I, I want to just draw closer to God, but I don't think I'm ready. I don't think that this is the time. I don't think that maybe this is the place, right? So out of that curiosity, God still used the same formula to draw Moses closer, but he didn't allow Moses to become too close. But as we progress in our relationship with God, and I believe in this new dispensation, God is calling us in a very different way and radically different, where God is still drawing us out of curiosity, but now God is no longer saying, don't come any closer. This is holy ground. God is now doing something different. God is telling us to come and see. Let's look at a few verses. Let's look at John chapter 1, verses 37 through 39. It says, the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, who do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, or to be translated as teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. So it's interesting. So God made manifest in, as, as, as a human, in human form, draws them closer. But instead of saying, hey, I'm a curiosity, but wait, you're not ready. He says what? Come and see, right? Then Jesus turned to them, seeing them follow, following. Then he said, what do you seek? So he posed the question because he saw what? Their curiosity. And then he said, when they asked, where are you staying? He said, come and see. Something similar happened in, in John 1.46. This is when another disciple is coming to him. It says, and Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I know you're curious, but I need you to come and see. Turn to your other neighbor and say, hey, I know you've got questions. I need you to come and see. God has developed a culture in this day and age where he is still a curiosity, but once you get to know him, you know that he is more than a curiosity. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning of the end. He is the first and he is the last. He is not a curiosity. He is the salvation of this world. As a matter of fact, he is not just the salvation, the, the savior of this world. It says, it says in the beginning, um, in the beginning, uh, God was, or in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. And then it later on says, so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But if you look in the Greek, if you look at the Greek translation, that word Greek, that word world, is actually not necessarily translated into world, into world. By a lot of theologians, it's actually translated into cosmos. So God didn't just love the world, 
God loved the cosmos. Think about how vast that is. God loved everything that exists right now, including you. God loved everything that came before you. And God loves everything that will come after you. And everything in between and everything all around. That is the God we serve right now. Think about that. A God that vast wants us to come and see. How intimate is that? Not comparing, not comparing God to any particular figure, but think about somebody in your mind. It can be, you know, like let's just keep it real. For some of us, it may be like a pop culture figure, right? For some of us, it may be like an important politician. Imagine if that person was like, hey, you over there, come with me, check this out. You would be like geeking out over it. But the God of the universe told you to come and see. How valuable does that make you? How special does that make you? You are so peculiar. You are so special. And he bid you come and said, come and see. Let's look at another example. John 4, 29. This was when there was a particular woman who was at a well. And during this time, Jesus had sent away his disciples, I believe, to get food. And at this particular time, first of all, a man talking to a woman, especially a woman who was by herself, especially a woman who was of a totally different culture, was unheard of. But Jesus went and talked to her and he bid her come. He told her that there was water that was not from this well that she would drink and that she would never be thirsty again. And so when he drew her to him, she then went and told other people, she said, come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She didn't even know Jesus. And she's like, could this be him? Y'all need to come check this out. But those of us who know Christ, when was the last time we told someone? and see a man who knew everything about me and still, and still loved me and accepted me and radically transformed me. Yeah. It's almost like we're sitting, on the, we're sitting on the greatest gift in the history of the universe and we're just kind of treating it like, oh yeah, I love you Lord. Oh yeah, praise the Lord, saints. The God of the universe loves you. The God of the universe wants to connect with you. When you want to connect with someone else, if you had, if, 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 there was some, if there was someone who was suffering from this debilitating ailment, and you had a pill that you knew, you knew in your heart of hearts that, that that particular pill could cure that person, would you just go up to that person and say, hey, how you doing? Oh, man, I hope you feel better. You would be like, you know what? Hey, I don't know what you've tried before now, but I have this pill, and I know for myself I know from my own experience that this pill can heal anything. Yeah. Wouldn't you want to give it to them? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you see the value in that pill so much that you'd be like, hey, I'm not charging you anything for this pill. Come and see. I have this thing for you. Yeah. It's up to you to receive it. That's the way we should treat the God of heaven. Come and see. Yeah. I, I know a man, I met a man who told me everything about me. Could this be the Christ? And she didn't even know him. So what about us who know him? Yeah. Come on, people. It's time to come and see. Yeah. Yeah. Once you come and see, you don't just stop there. Because you just come and see curiosities. That's, a, that's essentially what Moses did at first. right? Moses came, but God was like, no, 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 no. You, you, you're close enough. 
But now God is like, no, 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 no. Come and see. But after you see it, how many of you all have ever seen, like, no condemnation, you're driving down the street, you see an accident, what do you do? You don't speed up, you slow down. Why? Because it's a curiosity. God is not an accident. So if, if I'm speeding by and I'm seeing that and I'm slowing down for that, what do I then do? I essentially keep going most of the time. But God is not calling us to just see him as a curiosity, to just come and see. He's calling us to follow me. Let's go to the scripture. Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Matthew didn't even need to come and see. Because what? God came to Matthew. And he said, you see me. So now I need you to do something else. That was the first thing. You see me. But now I need you to do something else. I need you to follow me. Let's look at another verse. Mark 8, 34. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and do what? Not enough to just come and see. Just coming and seeing is just a curiosity. What's it like? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it taste like? How does it like what, what is it to the touch? But Christ is not is calling us beyond just himself as some sort of anomaly. He's calling himself as our Savior. And so after you come and see, the next step is to follow him, to follow me. Let's look at one more verse. John 1, 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. So as you minister to people in your family, as you minister to people in the marketplace, as you minister to people who are, you're interacting with in commerce, for example, grocery store, library, wherever you are, just keep in mind, when you're inviting them, to come and see. But God is going to take them a step further. Yeah. To follow me. Think about that time when you first made that decision to follow Jesus. You came and saw, and some of you may have been starting your hearts, but maybe you went about your, about your way. I remember when I first came to Lineage. And I'm telling y'all, to a T, in 2010, I had moved from St. Louis, and we moved to the Bay Area. And I was just, I was just so hungry to have just such a new, like, invigorated experience in God. So I put God to the test, and I don't mean in a test like, you know, testing the Lord your God. I mean a test like, prove me now here with it, the Lord of Hosts kind of test. God doesn't want you to test Him, but God wants you to prove Him. God gives us so many opportunities to prove me now here with. He said it. So what I decided to do was I decided to put myself on full blast in an attempt to prove God. So I posted on my Facebook page everything that I wanted in the church. And I said that I wanted it in, in, the, in the East Bay. So I posted this to Facebook. 
People read it like they loved, they liked it. You know, I'm glad. You know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're in Oakland now. You know, I hope you find what you're looking for. I'm telling y'all, within a week, I found lineage online. I walked through the doors, and I will never forget this. I was immediately, I was immediately greeted by Sean and Carol Donswani. Why is that important? The reason that that's important is because most churches have a process. If they see a brother coming through the door, they'll then send someone who they think looks like him to make him feel comfortable. And it's well-meaning, but what it does is it suggests that I know you. But when you send two people who are Holy Ghost filled to the door to greet people, they know that there's a new thing that's happening in that place. I just felt so loved and so welcome, and I started to interact with people, started to interact with like Sister Rhonda, and I remember like the Ortiz, like there's so many people that made me feel so loved and so welcome, and yet, I was like, man, that was, a, that was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Maybe I'll try a few other churches. Imagine that. You found exactly where God was drawing you to, but because God was a curiosity, or because at that moment lineage was a curiosity, I was like, okay, let me just to check to make sure. Let me kick the tires on a few other places. And so I went to a few other places, and they were fantastic, but there was something about that experience at this place called Living Hope that I was just like, I just need to go back to that. And the second time that I came through those doors, I never left this place. Even after moving, 2,500 miles away. I currently live in Washington, D.C. And yet and still, there was something that was so unique, so peculiar, where I didn't just come and see. God said, I need you to follow that church. And in doing that, you're following me. This is where you all don't realize the power. You don't realize, when you're in the midst of something, you don't realize what you have. What do they say? Um, it's you don't you don't know what you have till it's gone. And so being in a place like this, you all, when I moved to Washington, DC, I, I'm, I'm gonna be real with you. I probably went to 25 churches, just checking them out to see if there was a place that God was drawing me to. And you know what? Everything, every place that I went, I didn't do it on purpose, I compared to this house. Well, I love this about it, but like it's not lineage. Oh, well, that worship, all that, I love that, but it's not lineage. All these people, all they seem to have a sweet spirit, but it's not lineage. When, you, when you're in a place where God is just providing you with, like, just so much wisdom and so much fellowship and so much work, like, the way, the, the way that you, there was a church that I went to last night for New Year's, just to bring in the New Year's. This church has thousands of people here in the Bay Area. But as I was sitting there, I was like, I don't, I, don't, I don't take anyone away from the church where they are. But in my mind, I was like, just come and see. Just come and see. The way that the pastor's here, just, just even just exegeting scripture. Like, there's sometimes where I'm just dumbfounded, where I'm like, God, like, how did you, how did he get there from just what was just on that screen? I've read that verse 30, 40 times. And yet he's standing up here, and I'm like, it's just mind-blowing. Just following Pastor Sunday, and I was the director of local outreach for four years while I was here. And just getting to make that connection with PS.
She did overseas mission. Everything that I did with local outreach, I learned through overseas missions. Because we often think of it as being different, and it's the same. The mission field is the same. It's different in ways, but it's really about come and see and follow me. I just want you all to just so deeply appreciate. And those of you who are online, and you feel like, you know what, Jamerson? Like, I wish that I could be within the four walls of that church. I used to go there and now like I moved away, my, you know, I got another job in another city, or people who are like, oh, my, my parents were aging so I needed to go take care of them, or people who are like, oh, you know, like I just can't, I just, I'm not as mobile as I used to be so I just can't come within the four walls. And I know you desire to be here. But let me tell you, you are here. Because this is a family beyond walls. And that's what we're doing. Over this next year, God is calling us to really go out and steward all the things that he's given you over this past year. Every Bible verse that you've read, every prayer that you prayed, every moment, moment that you fasted, every word that you've received from this pulpit, every encouragement that you've received from a small group member, every single thing that's been downloaded into you, it's time to activate that. We're holding on the stuff. We hold on to stuff and are so possessive. Like, oh God, if I give this away, then, then that's not the economy. We just talked about that. What is the value of what you've been given over the past year? I need you to activate that value now, and you start to do what? You need to start multiplying that. We're going to do a campaign in, in sometime in March, and we'll talk more about it over the next month or so, where we're going to start welcoming more people in as we get you know, our house in order, as we start to get the online, the sound and the, the visuals you know, a, little, a little tighter, um, you know, as we start to just welcome more people in the community, as we start to do more local outreach, right? I'm telling y'all, get ready, get ready, get ready. Because when people start pouring in, the pastors, like, there won't be room enough to receive. And so because of that, what's gonna have to happen? You're gonna have to then start to pastor. Just, just because you don't have a title pastor doesn't mean that you're not pastoring. Pastoring. You are, you're going to be shepherding people in this house, and God is preparing you now, and you know it. I can look, I can look at some of y'all faces, and y'all kind of like hiding a little bit. Like, yeah, I know that that's true, but I don't know if I'm ready. Look, you're ready. Imagine, imagine being in school, and you know, you know all the materials, you've read all the books, you've taken all the tests, and then the final comes along, and you're like, yeah, I don't know, I froze. I don't know if I'm ready. There's, look. What did, what did, uh, uh, what was, what's his name for Black Panther? I never freeze. Look, <laughs> trust me, the word of the Lord is that you will not freeze. Everything has been poured in you. Everything has been downloaded in you. It's going to come out to the point where you're going to be like, where did this come from? I knew I had this inside me. Come on, somebody. This is a, God is doing a new thing. And you're going to be part of that new thing. This is, the, this is the economy of not just the pastor's pastoring, it's about the member's shepherding. He's gonna do a new thing. He's gonna do a new thing. You just need to, we need to get ready. Just like when Christ, or just like when God was saying to Moses, hey, 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 stop, this is holy ground, don't come. God's moved from that to, hey, no, 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 no. Come and see and follow me. I need you all to develop that spirit. Get that spirit deep down on the inside of you, right? Come and see and follow me. So Jamerson, how do we do that? What is the way that we make sure that we're prepared when people start to come within the four walls of the church or people start to come and view us more online? Seeking after the Holy Spirit. 
I was talking to Auntie Jay recently, and we talked about, we, we were talking about, um, you know, the, the, the saints of God and how there's some people who have really fallen into this space where they maybe feel like, oh, God is not with me in the same way now that he used to be. And as we were talking about it, we said the same word at the same time. The thing that's generally different is that we lack a desperation. That desperation to want to see. Look, there are things that God has done, that God's done in this house that's blown my mind. And because of that, a lot of times if folks don't see that every day, day in and day out, we have this culture of consumerism where we're like, oh, like God is like a, doing stupid pet tricks. Like, oh God, like do it again, do it again, do it again. No, that's, that's not how God operates. You need to take the thing that God has given you. You've seen with your own eyes, you felt with your own heart, and you need to take that and walk with it. Because there are people who have seen greater things and they're going to do less with it. But if you have a heart of, I, I maybe haven't seen some of the miracles that you've seen, Jamerson, but I know deep down in my heart. I think of stories that Pastor Benjamin and Pastor Sonny have told us about, like Pastor Daniels, for example. And I'm in awe. I'm just like, man, I wish I was there. Oh, man, yo, he did that. This is the reason that people do what? That they pass down stories to us. When we think about what separates us, right? What helps us to overcome that's different from the world? It's what? The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. It's testimony that we, that we need to start to leverage. It's testimony that we need to start to lean on. It's testimony that we need to just get down on the inside of our heart and we need to then begin to like just propagate it and just bring it to the people. There's just something unique about testimony. What does testimony do? Testimony says to somebody, I remember when. I was this way, and now I'm this way. And the only thing that can explain it is what happened in between. And the only thing that happened in between was that I met God. I came and saw I turned to see and then I followed me. I followed him. Come and see, follow me. That's what exists between that I used to be and I am now. So as we start to just steward that spirit of testimony, a lot of times people are like, well, I don't have a good testimony. Everyone has a testimony. And everybody's testimony is going to resonate with someone. You don't have to be the person who, oh, I used to deal drugs and I used to, you know, and I used to be out on the street, bro, and I used to, that's, Yes, that's some people's testimony, and that's going to be used to draw certain people, what, that come and see. But even your testimony. I lost my mom, and, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this for me. I'm just giving examples. Like, you know, something happened in my life, and, like, I just got radically changed. God just really started to work on my heart. And when I shared that testimony with someone who had just lost a parent, they decided to come and see. I had, I had back problems, and, and I came to the altar, and God just radically changed me. Oh, I meet someone who has back problems. Oh, yeah, this, like, this was just my experience. I'm not saying that, like, you know, this is for everyone. This is my experience. Come and see. Yeah. It's those moments of testimony that are the most powerful. And we think the opposite. We think, little old me, I have nothing to offer. So what I should do is I should go to Scripture. Yes, 100% of the time, you should always leave with Scripture and then finish with Scripture. And in the middle, how do you overcome Blood of the Lamb, but then also the word of your testimony. So I need you to begin to store that in your heart, that your testimony is not just for you. 
Your testimony is not just a, an experience. Your testimony is transformational, right? If we develop that culture of testimony, right, how do we do that? It's going to land the wrong way, so I'm going to explain it. The way that you steward that culture of testimony is practice. People are like, practice? But practice is so fake. Like, when we think of practice, we think, for example, of like, a, like an actor who's sitting there and they're practicing their lines. It's, it's something that's artificial, something that's, that's fake. No, 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 no. That's not what practice is. Practice is stewarding a culture of doing something repetitively enough where it then just becomes just normalized within you. And it just becomes then a pattern of behavior as to where that's how you then tend to operate. Because you've done what? You've practiced. So practicing, practicing communicating that word of testimony. When you get back into your small groups next season, I would like, we're gonna have a curriculum, but I would also uh, suggest and admonish you to maybe take some time to allow people to share their testimony. I remember um, uh, uh, Chen Wei's mom was talking to me one time, and uh, we were walking down the street, and uh, she's like, yes, share your testimony with me. So I shared my testimony with me. Anybody who didn't know her, she said, brother, that's too long. <laughs> and at first I felt a little hurt, but then I realized, oh, She's an old saint. She's been doing this for a while. I can learn something from that. And so as I started to like really steward that culture of like sharing my testimony, it gets to a point as to where it just becomes instinctive. I can then come to someone and say, hey, I was this way, and now I'm this way, and the difference is what happened in between. Come and see. Come and see. If we bring that culture of testimony and that culture of practice, Right? I was, uh, we were in All Night Prayer the other night, and um, Maruri said something that blew my mind, and so I'm going to read it. Um, we were, I was talking about that, that idea of practice seeming artificial. And he said, um, well, what about when Christ said, like, do this in remembrance of me? And my mind was blown. I was like, did Jesus just tell us to practice? Do this in remembrance of me. Translation, I need you to do this over and over over and over again to the point where you become so comfortable with it and it becomes so ingrained in you that you just start to do it instinctively. And apply that to other aspects of your walk. Apply that to your prayer life. I may start out with 10 minutes, but if I just do it over and over and over again, and then do it a little bit longer and a little bit longer and a little bit longer, I'll get to a point where I've been praying an hour a day and I didn't even realize it. I'll get to a point where I start praying all day Saturday and didn't even realize it. Maybe I just read one Bible verse a day. But then I expand that and say, okay, let's see what happens if I do a couple of verses a day. Then three weeks later, I'm like, okay, let's see what happens if I had a job. Y'all see what I'm getting at? It's that story, that culture of practice. Doing something over and over over again to the point where you become so comfortable, it's just, it's just, it's just deep down on the inside of you. Yeah. It's like with God's word. What do you do? You tie it around your neck and you hide it in your heart. What does that mean, Jamerson? It means you tie it around your neck because it's on display for all to see, but you also hide it in your heart because there's some parts of it that are just for you and you're going to need that at some point because when, when tying it around your neck is not enough, you're going to need it deep down on the inside to then come up like a, like a well of living water. 
I need us to get this, because when those people start coming through those four walls and we look confused, we haven't practiced. Those of you who are watching like sports right now, watching, watching American football, what are they having right now? Bowl games. And you can tell the difference between the people who have practiced and the people who haven't had as much practice. Because that repetition just does something to you. It causes you to do what? You're executing at that point so efficiently that it's, it's just like, it's part of your, it's part of your, your gut memory, it's part of your, your, your reflex, right? It's part of that gut memory. And so if we do that with our relationship with Christ, that's not artificial. That's the way Christ called us to do it. Do this in remembrance of me. Yeah. So when I was um, when I was outside and the the dogs were were like kind of snarling, and when I would get a little bit closer, they would then snap at me. All of a sudden, the one that was closest to me, I went a little bit closer because it was a curiosity. So I step closer, because this time, I just felt like something was going to be different. And I reached out, and right before my very eyes, that dog started to transform into like the, kind of like the puppy version of itself. And then all of a sudden, starting with that particular dog, it didn't just happen all at once. I need y'all to hear this. It didn't just happen all at once. Starting with that dog, the next dog that was closest to it began to transform. And then another, and then another, and then another. There are some of us who feel like we've had these things just, just snarling over us for the past year. Just howling at us for the past year. We felt stress around it. We felt anxiety around it. We needed prayer about it, but it just seemed like prayer wasn't enough. We needed hands laid on it, and it seems like hands just wasn't enough. God is just waiting. Because maybe the next time it will begin to transform. Just like with us, it calls that uh, Jesus calls us to be renewed, uh, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Yeah, yeah. This is a new year. And I don't generally purport to the new year new me. I'm like, no, no, no. New year old you, but old you who is being transformed yeah, yeah. by the renewing of your Oftentimes we want to just rush to the change. Oh God, I want to lose 40 pounds now. Like make it so. I'm going to go to the gym every day and burn myself out and just exhaust my muscles. And then two weeks later, I'm, I'm so exhausted that I'm going to go back for the rest of the year. We need to get away from that culture of like instant gratification and go to a culture of, of transformation. Yeah. Over and over and over over again. To that point where you're like, this thing used to be this way. This thing used to be this way. And now it's this way. Remember our testimony when we got saved? I used to be this way. And now I'm this way. I promise you. I promise you. I need everybody to develop the expectation in your heart that you're going to say this year, not only did I used to be this way, and now I'm this way, and the only thing that was different was coming to Christ, you're going to now say, on January 1st, I used to be this way. And there's going to come a point during this year where I'm going to be this way. And the only thing that's different is that I came back to Christ. And in coming back to Christ, he's going to now take me further than I ever knew. I 
ever knew. Some of us feel like maybe we've plateaued. This is going to be the year where you then start to ascend. I need you to get that deep down in your heart. That I serve an ascending God. I don't serve a descending God. When God goes to the grave, he then then comes. We serve a God of ascent, not a God of descent. And so if you're feeling like there's something in your heart where you're just like, Jamerson, I know that I need something more. I know that I need to begin anew. I know that I, I've come, I, I came to see, I now follow him, but now I need, some, I, I, need a, I need him to do a new thing in my life. I need him to do a new thing in my heart. We're going to open up this altar in a few minutes. I would love for a few of the, um, a few of the elders to come up. And if you need prayer, just feel free to come up. And don't have the expectations of the old year. Don't think to yourself, you know what? Things were this bad in 2022. I need them to be different. I need you to then set the bar higher. Prove me now here with said the Lord of hosts. Your God told you that. This is going to be the year that you're going to... You're not testing God. You're allowing God to prove the things that he said at the beginning. That now at the end, and not that finality of the end, but as you reach that next plateau, God is like... Come and see. Come and see. It's a renewal process. Yes, when you first came to Christ, you came to see. And then once you knew Christ, you decided to follow him. But God is calling you again to come and see. Come and see this new thing that I can do. Come and see how, how, how miraculously I'm going to transform your prayer life. Come and see how I'm going to just so dramatically change your marriage. Come and see how that job that you have right now it's going to be so radically different because of people that God puts in front of you, of relationships that you steward. Come and see. Prove me now here with said the Lord of hosts. Come and see. Come and see. Prepare for him to just draw you closer to him. You will not be disappointed. I guarantee you. I stand on this. I stand on this promise. Get in your heart right now an expectation for what God's going to do. Come and pray about it. Steward it through practice. I'm telling you, go to small groups. I'm telling you to pray more than just once a day. I'm telling you to like really just transform that culture of like however you however it is that you've gotten closer to God. For some people, it may be fasting. For some people, it may be you know um, you know going through the Bible from start from beginning uh, to end throughout the year. Whatever that thing it is that you do. I need you to go back to it, and I need you to do it again, but with the expectation that it's going to be different this time. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be different this time. It says that he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. That means his presence will always be there, and he will always be there to rescue you. me now here with, said the Lord of hosts. God is ready to radically change you. Lord, take me back forward. Don't just stay where you were. God will meet you where you were, but he will not leave you that way. I promise. I promise. Lord God, we just thank you for this opportunity to just 
about the, the word of our testimony and how when we combine that with the blood of the lamb, we can overcome anything. We are overcomers. I remember the first prophetic word that I got from Pastor Daniel. This was like eight, nine years ago. He said, you will be an overcomer. And I just so happened to be going through something in my life at that moment that I needed to overcome and he never would have known it, but yet you told him. Lord God, begin to steward that again, Lord God. Begin to take us back to those moments when we would do men's Bible study and we would go into the night to the point where people's wives are going to call me and say, Amen!